Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great privilege to introduce this podcast. In it, we're going to be discussing two papers. The first is entitled Focus on Function, a cluster randomized controlled trial comparing child versus context focused intervention for young children with cerebral palsy by law et al. And its companion paper, Context Therapy, a new intervention approach for children with cerebral palsy by Dara et al., which are both due to be published in the July issue of the journal. It's going to be discussed by Professor Law from the Canchild Centre for Childhood Disability Research, McMaster University, Hamilton, Canada, who's one of the authors, and Associate Professor Eva Brogan-Kolberg at the Department of Women's and Children's Health at the Karolinska Institute, Stockholm, Sweden, who's also written a commentary on the paper. Please, can we start with you, Professor Law, to uh, summarize the background? Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you for this podcast. These two papers are the last in a series of studies that have been done over the past 10 years by Joanna Dara and myself, along with colleagues. The Focus on Function study is a randomized controlled cluster trial with 128 children who have cerebral palsy and who are from the ages of 12 months to 5 years, 11 months. In this trial, the therapists were randomized to the therapy arms, and the children followed the therapist into the two treatment arms. The two treatments that were tested in the study were a child-focused intervention uh, with a focus specifically on improving the functional performance of the child through changes in the child's skills and abilities, or the context-focused intervention which had the same goal of changing functional performance, but only through changes to the task or the environment. The companion paper, Context Therapy, written by Joanna, is a description of this new intervention approach. And we're very grateful to the journal for publishing this manualized description of this new intervention approach. The outcomes measured in the trial ranged across the International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health and included the Pediatric Evaluation of Disability Inventory, Gross Motor Function Measure, uh, several measures of range of motion, the assessment of preschool children's participation, and the Family Empowerment Scale. Treatment was received over a period of six months. In the results, except for one small difference, there were no significant differences between the treatment groups, but there were significant changes, both statistically and clinically important, for both groups from baseline to six months. During the three-month follow-up period when the therapy intensity went back to a regular schedule and decreased for about 70% of the children, there were no further significant changes. So that's a summary of the results of the study, and as I said, the companion paper describes in much more detail than can be done in a results paper the new intervention approach that has been developed and tested. Thank you. Can we turn to you, please, Professor Program Kohlberg, to discuss the papers? Yes. As I pointed out in my commentary, I think that the articles are a really important contribution in the search for optimal treatment strategies for children with CP, and that they are really excellent food for thought on what could be the active ingredient in therapy for preschool children with CP. 
can these ingredients be identified one by one, or is it a combination of several components that sort of serve as the yeast in the Tao, so to say? So the first thing that surprised me was that there were no significant differences between the approaches. And, and could you please discuss that a little? I think the most obvious thought in looking that both approaches were equal is that both approaches were based on best current evidence and led to these positive changes. The context-focused intervention, as described in the companion paper, is a newer intervention, which had only been tested in some pilot studies. The child-based intervention, while some may you know, assume that it is based on older approaches, it is actually based on strategies that use the best contemporary current evidence that we have, with the key difference being that the child-focused intervention is focused only on making changes within the child. I think that you know, both interventions are somewhat complex, and Eva, you alluded to this, that mm. there are a number of active ingredients within our therapy approaches. And therapists typically would use approaches where they do make changes to the child, but also make changes to the environment and the task. One of the reasons why we separated these approaches to study them distinctly was that in our pilot studies, we found that therapists typically fell back on making changes to the child, even when instructed to try to make changes to the environment or the task first. Mm -hmm. The intensity of the therapy intervention for most children was more than they would typically receive mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis within uh, our country, so that we do think that the intensity of the intervention is enough to affect change, and that is substantiated by the fact that changes did not continue once the therapy mm. decreased. I think both interventions followed a very specific focus intervention protocol with specific training provided to the therapist and specific steps to go through for the implementation of the therapy. So I think all of those things contributed to the best chances of these approaches affecting change mm. in the child. So then first I would uh, like to go back to what you first mentioned, that these two approaches, they um, build on best current evidence, but one of them did not have any goal setting in it, uh, which we in our studies have found were extremely important for a good result. So I guess that was something that surprised me when I read the studies and also mm -hmm. the very close collaboration with the family that becomes very apparent in, in the paper by Johanna, which we also think is really an important uh, ingredient in uh, making the child practice in its uh, daily environment. So because when you talk about intensity, I guess it's the intensity, uh, how often the child meets the therapist, isn't it? That's what you counted. Yes, that is what we counted, and um, I'll speak to both points that you raised. I'll talk about the family-centered focus uh, initially, and I think that we were so pleased that the journal published the context intervention paper because that gives far more information about it, and 
you know, within the results paper, there's really only one paragraph about the child-focused uh, approach. Um, and certainly the child-focused approach did use a family-centered approach and close collaboration with the family. Those were both inherent within the, the approach. The, uh, the child-focused approach did not use the same goal-setting method that was in the context-focused approach. What happened within the child-focused approach was that through interaction with the families and observation of the children, specific uh, problems uh, that the child was encountering uh, were identified. These specific problems that were identified or issues uh, were problems that were with the child's uh, impairment and functioning because the focus of that uh, therapy was on the child. Okay. So that I think it really becomes clear how important it is to describe the intervention in detail because by reading Hannah's paper you get a really clear picture about the context-focused therapy. And while I thought, for example, that the child-focused intervention was a bit like the activity-focused intervention that we used without the goal setting where we had not so very good results. But I understand now when we discuss it that maybe that's not the case. So it's uh, really hard uh, when you read the, the first paper to really know what the child-focused intervention is, even if you try to describe it with the uh, amount of words that one is allowed to do. I think it has really contributed that the whole intervention is at the same time being published as your uh, results paper. I agree with you that the child-focused intervention is quite similar um, in many ways to the activity-focused intervention that you did, with the difference that with the specific focus um, on the identification of problems. Yes. Having said that, I think in future, the specific goal-setting strategy that we used within the context-focused approach and that you have used in your studies is the more optimal method in which to set specific goals for therapy intervention. Mm, because we really found a very big difference between those groups. Uh, but, of course, the rigor of the, the study was not uh, comparable to yours when you have a randomized controlled trial. And then we also had different ingredients like training in groups, for example, the children met in groups which we think is also an important contributor to success. But to go back a little on the intensities, I just wanted to make a sort of a comparison between what's regularly given. And now at the EACD conference, somebody called Coombe, she presented a paper where they've done a survey in the UK where you could see that children between one to six years of age met a therapist about 12 hours every year, which I think is really very low. And in your study, you had about 18 sessions during six months. And during three months that our study was here in Stockholm, during these three months, the children met the therapist with the same intensity as you have in the Focus on Function study. In Bergen by Sørstahl, the study by uh, Amrit Sørstahl, uh, they had a three weeks intensive training, but uh, meeting the therapist was about 15 times during this session. 
So uh, it's just a question, uh, what you think this intensity means, if it's spread over time or if you can sort of concentrate it, or what's your opinion, Mary, on this? Well, I do think that the issue of intensity uh, of therapy intervention is important. You know, I think the work that you have done, the work that you've cited by Coombs and our work does show that we need to pay attention uh, to dose response of therapy while also keeping in mind the constraints of the system and the family's very busy lives. I do think that there is merit in, in doing more work in looking at the intensity. Um, one of the characteristics of the context-focused intervention is that it can certainly happen episodically as issues arise. So you could do an intensive intervention period around some specific goals followed by a break. And within the trial, certainly some of the context-focused intervention was episodic, but because it was a clinical trial, we did have to standardize the overall dosage of therapy between the two groups. I do think that future research should continue to look at this issue because I think the issue of intensity of therapy is very important, and just providing a few sessions over many months is not likely going to lead to important clinical change. I completely uh, agree with you, but I also think there's another question to this, and it is how the practice or the intensity measured as a contact with a therapy really relates to the intensity with what the child practices. So I would think if the child is very clear about the goals set and the meaning of them, it is my hypothesis. We we, we never did any actual recording of uh, this, that the child uh, gets a higher intensity of practice than in approaches where the child is not in, in center of the uh, activity, so to say. I absolutely agree. I think it's fundamental uh, to the work that you've done and certainly to the work that we've done with the context approach that the goals are very clear, that families are partners with the therapists and the children in this process. And when goals are clear, when plans for practice are understood and can be done within the context of daily life, I do think that there is a much higher chance of fundamental change taking place. This, again, is an area um, for further study. And one of the things that I have uh, learned over many years of doing research, as I'm sure you have, is that we progress knowledge a step at a time. If we look back 20 years, we've gained a lot of knowledge, and really some of our approaches have changed and are fundamentally different than they were a number of years ago. Yes, I completely agree with that. I'm so happy with the with the way that it's moving and also with new instruments coming where the children really take part in the, in the process of setting goals, you know, with the pegs and that you try also to, to find the voice of the children in, in this uh, work and in contact with countries uh, like, for example, now we've had a lot of contact with Turkey. This is not uh, so normal because you think that the therapist is the one who knows what to do. So I realize that the time is running and we could discuss a lot of things more on this, but I would also like to talk a little about how you think this could be 
uh, transferred now into clinical practice because this is a sort of an RCT study with high internal validity and but how could it how could the therapist sort of benefit from your results in, in your opinion? Well, I think the transfer um, of research knowledge into clinical practice is a huge challenge. Um, so I think there needs to be a focus on some of the more sophisticated knowledge translation methods uh, that are used. Certainly publishing results in a peer-reviewed journal such as developmental medicine is very important, but I think we have to go beyond that. We certainly plan to and, and make use of the CanChild website to post information. And uh, Joanna and I have discussed putting a manual for the therapy approaches using the, uh, the tools that we use to, in training the therapists online. So I think that that uh, could be helpful. Yes, I, I really agree with you there. Uh, to think about the strategies for implementation, it became very obvious with the context the therapy being uh, published uh, the way it is uh, now that we need to uh, describe uh, our uh, interventions more clearly. For example, with our types of interventions, we've done handbooks in Swedish for the people that work in the organization and those who were involved in the, in the studies and also others in Sweden. But now we start to think that maybe we should really translate this into English. We could put it on the EACD website and also the context focus therapy could be linked from the EACD website, for example, so that you have a possibility to discuss similarities and differences and they have a possibility to try out some of the strategies in your uh, clinical work. I think it's very challenging for therapists <laughs> to learn and, and train themselves um, and begin new practices uh, w without such details. The results of our study show that you know both pro approaches led to significant changes. So it is an opportunity for therapists and families really to look at which approach is most suitable for which child. But I think that we can provide some guidance to therapists uh, and families in making those decisions. Certainly one observation that we had in the pilot studies and also within the clinical trial was that if you are able to affect an environmental change relatively quickly, that can often lead to an immediate increase in performance. So we uh, have often suggested to therapists that if there are some environmental changes that are potential strategies, that that approach be tried initially, followed by practice, and then if it doesn't work, you are, would follow it with some other strategies or focus perhaps on changes within the child, which may take longer to lead to a change in performance. It's these types of uh, training tips and strategies that can be built uh, within a manual and um, within training protocols that can yeah. be helpful to this. And, and there I think it's really important that you have this uh, uh, basic sort of task analysis uh, which you've lined out in the uh, context therapy and that we also use, that you look at the child, the environment, and the task. 
And as you say, first you look, what can you do in the environment if a child cannot dress, for example, or put on a, on a sweater? Uh, does the child sit well or do you need a better chair? That's the first thing to look at. And, and maybe, as you say, just doing something in the environment it could make the child possible to do the task and you don't have to practice. But then when you, you come to practice, that is a period that goes over a longer period of time, but I don't think it should be, as you also point out, not too long. You need to reach the goal within a set time frame. I think that's important. Yes, one of the things that is inherent within the context of a focused approach, which all of the therapists and families found very useful was the videotaping of the child trying the goals. And this was then used by the therapists and parents together for the analysis of the supports and constraints within the child, the task, or the environment. Uh, videotaping the performance of goals is not an approach that is typically used within our country, but we found it to be very useful within the context of focused approach. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of equipment that you need is so available now that it is, um, it was an addition um, to the protocol that we think really helped both the families and therapists um, in the depth of the analysis that they were able to do. Yes, and I also think for the child to be able to be aware of what the goal is. And we used books more that the, the children had uh, pictures of their goals, so to say, or the zero level of the goal attainment uh, scaling. But I think video is much more powerful. You can really do an analysis together with the uh, family and uh, look at many aspects of uh, why the child can or can't do a specific uh, task. I was interested in reading a bit about challenges. It seems that part of the problem was a lot of people were taking an impairment approach, trying to treat an impairment, where what you were trying to say was try and treat the participation difficulty, and whatever method worked best for remedying that was the one that was, was needed. Yes, I think the, the key approach is that you start and end an activity and participation goal. And I, I think both Eva and I are in complete agreement on that. Yes. So in your section on challenges, you know, you're saying how some of the therapists felt they weren't doing true therapy because they weren't doing hands-on stuff, say, which implies that, uh, that, that there's an orientation more towards treating an impairment still. I think that that is rapidly changing, but I think that there are areas where it uh, it still exists and, you know, certainly is um, a challenge for our therapy professions to um, address the issue that therapy intervention is much more than just focusing on changing impairments. Could I, could I just say that what I think is especially difficult for the therapists here in Sweden is to leave the stretching not to put so much intensity on stretching muscles since it seems it's not very efficient and you've shown it very well in your study that the contact group didn't get any of these sort of manual therapies. Uh, their joints didn't become more stiff in the directions that you measured during this 
six-month period where no sort of passive stretching was done. Yes, it's interesting because that was the one point of potential risk within the study. So we actually measured range of motion at baseline, three months, six months, and nine months. Because of that, I think that the the findings of our study related to range of motion are most interesting and you know worthy of more discussion and follow-up within the professions. We certainly would never say that flexibility and maintaining range of motion is not important. It is absolutely vital to every human being. Um, but it appears from this study that there are a range of ways in which that can be achieved. Yes, and as we found, the children did not do specific uh, stretching, but they gained better range of motion while being more active. That is what we think. It has, it has to be proved, but that's a hypothesis on why they improved their range of uh, motion uh, when they were not subject to passive stretching. Exactly. We had many parents tell us that they were really pleased not to have to do the passive stretching anymore. Yeah, and especially as it's for some children also causes uh, pain. So I think it's a good thing if we really can evaluate what stretching does. Well, what other conclusions might you draw for that in terms of the effect of this on clinical practice? Well, I think that we have already discussed the issue of the intensity of therapy. Um, so I think that one of the messages from, from this study and, and from others is that there does need to be enough intensity and focus of intervention for us to achieve clinically important changes. And I think another uh, important thing is that we continue our discussion because now we have uh, much more results that we can, can sort of relate our discussion to. So I really hope that uh, this will continue among clinicians. Uh, so what is from the findings of this study and the other studies? Can I just ask one other question, please, Mary, about the effect on clinical practice? You mentioned the, the value of videos, but you also mentioned the importance of the therapist seeing the child in their normal environment rather than, say, in a hospital or clinic setting. Uh, does a video allow you to do that without having to visit the, the home, say? Well, certainly a video would help with that. I think, you know, when we looked at the absolute adherence uh, to the treatment protocols uh, during this study, there was one area in which the protocol was not adhered to as much as we uh, had wanted, and that was having the intervention within the child's own environment. It certainly was done, and videotaping was done uh, within the child's uh, own environment. But there are a number of restraints and restrictions within the children's rehabilitation system that limit therapy within that environment. So I think videotaping can help with that. Um, I do believe, though, that for the therapists in the context arm, even if they weren't able to do the therapy in the child's own, own environment all of the time, the opportunity to do it some of the time really did enhance their ability to identify the constraints or challenges, but also to identify the supports. I completely agree with you. I think it's very important that therapy takes part in a naturalistic setting, also for the child to understand what it's all about. 
The reason I was asking the question was because, I mean, you make the point, for example, about the child wanting to go to the toilet. But I thought that maybe rather than having to visit the home, which is very time-consuming for a therapist, and means they can't be doing other work while they're travelling, was a video, a way of shortcutting that, so they could still see the problem and suggest mm-hmm. solutions. Well, I think a video is a way of shortcutting that, and, and, and even better than that, you know, you could uh, link through with a family via webcam, with a lot of families, and do something in real time. So I think there are a number of potential technologies that are becoming much easier to use that can enhance our ability to form partnerships with parents and to really observe how a child is performing within their natural setting. Very good in the north of Sweden where the distances are long to the uh, closest uh, habilitation centre. That certainly would help in giving you advice in, in the setting where the child lives. We, we've now come to the end of our podcast. Uh, many thanks indeed to Professors Law and Roger Karlberg for a very, very interesting podcast. I think hearing details about a new therapeutic approach is very exciting and being able to see the results of tests of its efficacy as well. I hope our listeners get as much out of this as I have. Just to remind listeners that there are two articles. One is by Dara et al., Context Therapy, a New Intervention Approach for Children with Cerebral Palsy. And the other one is by Law et al., Focus on Function, a Cluster Randomized Controlled Trial Comparing Child versus Context-Focused Intervention for Young Children with Cerebral Palsy, both coming out in the July issue. Thank you.